The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Can we get a cup of coffee in here, please? Oh, not now. Not now with the sneezing fits. Ready to... Achoo! Achoo. Damn! Achoo! And hot. And hot. Achoo. Wake up, America. You've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee. And get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about Kumbaya and Flat Earth Insanity. Stand-up comedy? You want stand-up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit-down comedy. It's time for Coffee with the Dog. You make me laugh. Yeah. We'll see about that. I'm not feeling it today. Have you heard that one before? Maybe. Oh, no. Wow. Half time. Half time. Oh, good morning, people of Earth, especially Canada. We love Canada. My favorite country, uh, um, at least in the north in North America. Actually, my favorite country in the world, probably New Zealand, because they have bats, and that's it. Bats and birds, and people. Which I don't like the people. They could go away with the people. Anyway, it is uh, the unlucky thirteen. It's Wednesday, December thirteenth, twenty twenty three. Now I gave you the date. You can go do something more productive with your day cold as fuck here yes i said fuck too soon youtube gets upset when you say fuck too soon they got like you're allowed to say in their world you're allowed to say fuck after like seven minutes or something i say it right up front just to piss them off because i don't give a fuck anyway uh willie won't be here today uh he will be probably in the chat room on youtube here's the deal uh willie was shopping for lingerie last night he found a beautiful pair of pink panties that he was trying on because uh, we were working on some new designs to sell in the store. Uh, and we have some new designs to sell in the store, by the way. Uh, but he was trying them on, and somehow or another, they locked them in there. They were closing up. He didn't realize it. he was in the, uh, the dressing room trying on his pink panties, and um, they locked them away. So he's still... Until they open up, and I think they open up at noon, he's going to be locked in the, the lingerie store, which is um, unfortunate. But he has limited Wi-Fi and not a real good place to uh, podcast from, so he uh, he won't be joining us today. I do want to talk about a couple of things. I don't know if you know who Cat Turd is. Do you folks know who Cat Turd is? Yes, I said Cat Turd. If you don't know, Cat Turd 
is the brain trust for the Republican Party. Somebody who goes by the name of Cat Turd. He's a redneck, very, um, very, uh, I want to say really stupid, racist. Uh, he's a guy who go, who definitely wears uh, a hood. Um, again, he hides in, in anonymity under the name Cat Turd. He is who the Republican Party looks up to as a deep thinker and somebody they take guidance from. This just is, shows you the level of where we are at in uh, political discourse today. And if you know, if you follow me for any time, you know, uh, since 2016, I think the Republican Party went way off the rails with Donald Trump. But I don't blame Trump. I think he gave, I think he gave license to people like Cat Turd to. Uh, take power, take uh, influence. Uh, Roger Stone, who has been a influencer within the Republican Party since the Nixon days, said this in an interview a few days ago. Was, um, he, Cat Turd is one of the country's most eminent scholars, one of the country's most established experts on American politics. And they plan, if Trump gets in, to name him to his cabinet. Cat Turd ladies and gentlemen. That's just how unserious or just lost the Republican Party is. They need to get back to some semblance of letting smart people run the run the party, run run whatever they do. And they you know, of course they put party uh above con- country in a big way and they have been since 2016 and it, a lot of it is you know just the cult of personality and the belief that um, they have found a savior in a really corrupt orange uh, narcissist. Uh, it's just frightening. So when yesterday when I was talking and uh, said, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to die. I don't want. I don't want to live in a country that is uh, total idiocracy. If you've seen Mike Judge's movie Idiocracy, we are almost there, folks. We are almost to the point of just complete stupidity. Cat turd is a major influence in our world. Um, also. Um, uh, <laughs> Nick Fuentes, who is had dinner with the former president, and Donald Trump has not denounced him in any way. Uh, he has called for uh, he. Ha- I don't know what platform, what, who is giving this guy a platform, but he has his own show, kind of like this one where he has a very limited, very small audience, but they get amplified uh, on social media. All his posts. He's calling for. The moment Trump gets reelected to kill, I'm not, ju- I'm not just making this up, folks. You can check this out. You can see him saying this for himself. He wants to kill everybody who's not a born-again Christian. He wants to start with the Jews. This is what he's claiming. He wants to start and kill all everybody who doesn't 
uh, accept Jesus Christ as the one and only true uh, Savior, uh, and he wants to kill everybody who is not Christian, starting on day one, and do it quickly. This is what he's calling for. And again, nobody over there on that side of the spectrum is denouncing this stuff. They're not how about dinner with him and won't and refuses to denounce this kind of uh rhetoric i mean it's it's so over the top ridiculous that people are just dismissing it as as just talk uh but yeah if you know anything about or wills in the chat room he says it doesn't sound very loving if you know anything about nick fuentes um, no, there is no true spirit of what Christianity is supposed to be about in that guy whatsoever. I mean, he is as full of hate and contempt for his uh, fellow man and anybody who doesn't see the world that he does. And I don't know how, how that, uh, how he came to all the, uh, kind of crazy conclusions that he's come to, but. He's a very young man, and how he got any kind of influence. And again, I don't know who's giving this guy a platform or who follows him. This will be interesting to see. Like, who is he really talking to? Who is, who is, but, you know, he had Kanye West, uh, I don't know, his support and, and was using Kanye West to get to Trump, uh, year and a half ago i think that relationship has gone sour but he certainly has i think he's got a bigger audience than we have here which is troubling it's very troubling that that anybody would give any credence to the ideas that he's spreading our friend doug stanhope was on <laughs> jesse waters last night <laughs> now this is uh i'm gonna play this clip uh for youtube and other platforms that are concerned about what I'm going to show. I am going to be claiming fair use for this. Um, Doug Stanhope, friend of this program, um, he he's not an overtly political guy, but he certainly, um, I don't think he fit, fits into the Fox, uh, Fox News model of what of, of talking heads that they want to have on. So it's confusing to me as why they brought him on to talk about uh, Hunter Biden and how that e conversation even started. Did they reach out and say, we need a comedian who uh, understands Hunter Biden or was sympathetic to him? But for whatever happened, Jesse Waters uh, brought Doug Stanhope on and he started to interview him and it quickly didn't went in a direction that Waters could not handle, and he bumped him really. So this is the entire interview I'm going to play for you, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Doug Stanhope's a comedian who joins us now. Doug, I mean, I miss this. This Hunter's cool. Hey, first of all, I. I have no party affiliation. I am wingless. I am a grub worm maggot. I don't care either. But you're completely ignoring that they were making fun of themselves as much as anyone. I listened to the sketch. I don't know, dog dick about Hunter Biden. I have a, a home life and I, I do things. I don't, but it, Hunter Biden isn't a new story. Like if you go back to, uh, uh, 
Betty Ford had problems. Were you trashing her for being an alcoholic? The guy's evidently a drug addict. He's having some fun, I guess. Billy Bush, <laughs> uh, Billy Carter, Billy Beer, Billy Beer. Wasn't that funny in the moment? Did we have to wait a long time? Uh, Chelsea Clinton, you know, she she sold a bunch of uh, top secrets to uh, WikiLeaks and changed her gender. <laughs> All of the presidential families have had issues. Why the Hunter? Why Hunter Biden is specifically? chafing your your crack well i think because hunter has had all of the issues that everyone has ever had in the history of first families and i'm fine with it because this whole I time banged, i didn't realize i how banged cool he my was. brother's wife while he was getting the night before my brother graduated boot camp at paris island i banged his fiance in a pool in a holiday in at 17. Okay. So I said it's technically right. a rape victim, too. All right. I'm all saying right. we've all done things. We've all done things. You've done quite a few things this evening. <laughs> Have another one, Stanhope. Love you. I just started. <laughs> I can tell. We talked to a real life dictator next. Oh, my God. So, uh, there's what is, uh, you know, uh, insinuating that Stanhope is drunk. Uh, no, he's, he's, he's having breakfast. He's not even close to drunken. And, and he's right. I mean, we have had, uh, lots of people in first families that have, uh, maybe none, maybe Waters is right too. Maybe none as fucked up as, um, as, uh, Hunter Biden is, uh, to that extreme. But, uh, you know, first families, yeah, they're all screwed up. Uh, I mean, I think he forgot about Roger Clinton. He mentions Chelsea Clinton in there. Roger Clinton was in there. I think Reagan, Reagan's kids were all kind of messed up in different ways. Um, maybe not so much Ron Jr. He was just uh, he was just criticized for being a dancer or whatever, a ballet dancer, uh, which is not <laughs> is not a sin or in any way. Anyway, uh, record uh, time. And but I am curious now how that. How, did they reach out to Doug Stanhope and say, we need a, a comedian to come on and uh, defend Comedy Central's mocking of Hunter Biden? Or uh, how that conversation got started? Or did he, did he reach out to them? Um, very weird stuff. And I'd love to hear your opinions on it over in the chat room there. If you got any comments on the Stanhope thing. Now, uh, you know, it, Stanhope's uh, following was quick to like jump on that, and you know, Doug is a hero for, for a lot of people, and uh, getting thrown off of uh, Fox News is a badge of honor to a lot of those people. Again, Doug's not like a a very political guy at all. He's, he's, but it would have been really uh, interesting to see if that uh, if a political discussion had evolved from that with Stanhope like and they would ask him about some of the other issues like abortion and war and nationalism and those kind of things because we uh, if you're if you follow him you know his uh, takes on that kind of stuff anyway we have a, a pretty good show lined up for you let's uh, meet uh, G.D. Fenderson this morning because he's not hold on, he's not 
in a lingerie dressing room locked in there uh like our friend willie so he was able to make it here good morning Chief. good morning mind dog coffee put the coffee in the cup or else it gets the hose again mind dog coffee <laughs> well that's a new one i appreciate that uh, you put a lot of effort into these obviously and uh you I, put a lot of thought i have a list i i have a yeah I have a. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> wow, we got a lot more. The coffee yeah. is not going to survive that cup. Well, see, I draw. I just draw one randomly, and uh, then I do. That's that's what I'm going to do from now on. I'm just going to randomly. From now on, one. you say like the like the coffee is going to survive from now on. Um, well, uh, even when the coffee's gone, I'll still have the cup. <laughs> Uh, I'll just have to put something else in there. Mind dog t-shirts. <laughs> oh, by the way, there is uh, new merchandise for uh, Willie with Willie's mug on it. The old shit hat uh, in the spread shop store this morning. Um, maybe I'll show that later on before we uh, get started. And I, I'm already kind of into this. I should have done this. Please like, share and comment on this stuff. Uh, it helps out a great deal. And I don't say that enough, but everybody, it, Everybody on YouTube and and other streaming platforms says this all the time. I don't. I rarely ever say it, but it's really important, and people forget to do it. And it would help out anyway. Do all that and subscribe if you're not already a subscriber. Subscribe and tell your friends to subscribe and all that kind of stuff. Today we have an author who I have already spoken to on the nighttime program about a year ago. It's uh, his work. I would kind of classify as sci-fi fantasy with a great deal of optimism about the future (laughs) and it it mixes in baseball uh so that that will be interesting and then later on in next hour uh paul zolman the love languages guy is going to make his third attempt at showing up which is my love language showing up and if he doesn't show up i'm not going to love him anymore uh so (laughs) so. i'm gonna i'm gonna unlove him hard if he does not show up today <laughs> uh, yeah so um were you familiar with cat terror only from my litter box yeah. <laughs> the guy goes by the name cat turd he's an anonymous uh he's got like a little icon that he lives on on twitter but the entire twitter sphere of the right right, right wing and twitter sphere takes its lead from this guy like he is their main uh, and he's not like Q. He's not like making up, uh, you know, JF, uh, uh, JFK Jr. is still alive and all. Yeah. And he's not making up like crazy, crazy. But he is uh, the thought leader. How can you be serious as a, a, a political party when one of the leaders of your party, one of the people you, who sets the uh, the agenda for your party, is calling himself cat turd and living in an image. I, it sounds image. to me like since because the way the way most right right wing um, want to be authoritarians think, they put their face. You know, if they want, you know, what I'm saying like uh, uh, what's his name, uh, the guy that always wears three shirts, Brent, uh, Stephen. Three shirts. Yeah. Oh, Steve Bannon. 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 You know, yeah. Bannon, Miller. They all they want their face on t- with their authoritarian remarks. If somebody's going by the name of Cat Turd, they're not showing their face. I'm thinking more like they're more like a think tank. You know, like Roger Stone and four of his buddies. No, this is definitely a guy. He's no. been he's shown up at like John Rich, the uh the country uh, western 
musician is friends with him and he's shown up at his thing and he's gotten awards he's been on stage but he hides his face what uh it's a weird you mean like the unknown comic i mean like a kkk guy oh oh so he was a hood <laughs> uh not exactly but like that yeah yeah a mask let's say a mask uh well it still could be a front i don't know i i'm just not in any i i don't and a minute and a minute people will hide their identities (laughs) anonymity yeah people will hide their identities i'm I'm sorry that's that's to me that's just cowardice that's just cowardice yeah if you're going to if you're going to say things that are so impactful put your face on it let the, well, you know, and your name. Be, Nick Fuentes does that. Uh, Nick Fuentes, yeah. who is like calling for the murder, murder of anybody who is not Christian. Well, I don't agree with what he's saying, but I, I'm glad that he's his put his face on it, so we know where the crazies are. Yeah, yeah. You know, I want to know where the crazies are in my neighborhood. I mean, I live in a neighborhood where most of my most of the people around here are apolitical in the sense that. The, the closest thing to any to political in in my immediate neighborhood, like the 100 or the 50 homes in this in this area in this neighborhood, um, before we get to the main road, is like there are no signs saying Trump this or Biden that or anything like that. It's not right. until I get out into the road when I start seeing the, the flags, the Confederate flags, and stuff like that, and and I know those neighbors, which ones I can talk to if I need help or whatever. I, the, you know. the Fuentes thing is so interesting to me and because most of, uh, I shouldn't say most of, uh, the majority of, probably a slim majority, uh, somewhere like 60%, I would say, of the Republican Party is pro-Israel. Uh, but And so, but they don't, they don't, denounce a guy who is completely anti-Semitic because he's talking in no uncertain terms about starting with the Jews, killing the Jews to start off with the day. Now, I, I think some of those, a, a good chunk of those Republicans that are pro-Israel are only pro-Israel because they think that the, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come through once there's like a great war and that Israel is going to be involved. No doubt. I've talked to a lot of Christians who believe that uh, yeah. all, all, well, the Jewish people will convert on the when Christ comes back again or whatever, and and that will be. But uh, he is not going to wait. Not going to give them that chance. He's not even give, giving them a chance to convert. He wants to. Uh, I don't. Hitler didn't even talk like that. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I actually he did talk like that. But I mean, you know what I mean. He's he's not even going to give them a chance to convert. He's just like we should kill them all day one. Why did they have to convert? I don't even understand. Uh, to be saved by Jesus, to accept Jesus as the one and only. He's, he, that is what his, his rhetoric is, that a- anybody who doesn't accept Jesus as the one and uh, true and only Savior uh, should be killed. And then he starts with the Jews. But he also goes to Muslims and uh, Buddhists and Hindus and Satanists and atheists and or everybody else. But he wants to start with the Jews, which to me should tell everybody in that in the party who has been talking about, you know, you know, stopping anti-Semitism. Uh, you know, they should start with him. Do you not hear one of your your thought leaders expressing these opinions? Anyway, we got to move on. Uh, I'm yeah. curious. Uh, but yeah, uh, and who's giving him a platform and who's actually following him? That's troubling, they, that he has followers. Um, 
So we have to play a commercial, and then we're going to meet Gary Morgenstein, who has been on my right. evening program before. Uh, we're going to start with uh, this, uh, which is a very woke commercial. With humble East Coast beginnings in 2015, Daily High Club is the premier destination for glass water pipes, vaporizers, and consumption accessories. If you're looking to elevate your smoking game to the next level, you're in the right place. With over 1 million top quality smoking products sold, and with a growing base of over 10,000 monthly subscribers worldwide, we deliver the ultimate smoking experience. But Daily High Club is not just another retailer. We're lovers of the smoking scene ourselves. Working with giants like Tommy Chong, Snoop Dogg, Chanel West Coast, and more. Ready to join the Daily High Club? Let our experts curate your collection with our awesome El Primo monthly subscription box. Or grab one of our fun and unique pieces from our smoke shop. Get started today. Visit MindDogTV.com and click on the banner on the homepage. Yeah, uh, the Holoblaze box is on sale today. It's $29.99, I'm sorry, uh, and it's $100 value. Get your Holidays uh, box set today. Order it at, uh, what's the name? of Oh, Daily High Club. <laughs> Good to remember the name of the sponsor when you're doing the beast. Uh, Gary Morgenstein has been with me before. He's been on the evening program. Uh, baseball fan from Brooklyn, which, uh, surprisingly enough, he's a Yankee fan. Because uh, growing up in Brooklyn in the era, uh, basically just a couple of years older than me, which was heavily Brooklyn Dodgers territory. It was before uh, they actually went to uh, L.A. Uh, everybody, it, it must have been dangerous to be a Yankee fan in Brooklyn. That's what I'm thinking, because... Uh, there were Yankee fans, and my father grew up in Brooklyn as a San Francisco, uh, not San Francisco, a New York Giant fan, uh, and that was uh, he was seen as a like persona non grata to a lot of his friends. It, Brooklyn was heavily uh, influenced by baseball. Three teams in in New York at the time, and Gary comes from that uh, that era. But his books are what I would call sci fi fantasy. Uh, they do have a political uh kind of uh, bent in, into them uh and we'll we'll meet him right now ladies and gentlemen say hello to Gary Morgenstein Gary Hi, welcome back well thank you for welcoming me on the show uh it's a pleasure to have you here now last time uh fastball i think fastball for freedom it was yes. the book we were talking book about two. yes right so now you have a new book out now this is this is interesting to me. Oh, by the way, say hello to GD over there. That's GD hey, Fender. Nice to meet you, GD. Um, nice to meet you, Gary. The new book I want to bring up the book. Uh, show the book here. Um, called Dugout to Peace. Now it takes place in uh, 2099, which makes me think you are an optimist uh, or crazy. Uh, <laughs> do, do you think we're going to survive till uh, we, as a nation, as a society, the world? All of it will be around in 2099. Well, it's I'm, I'm optimistic and I'm also a little pessimistic because the world in the, uh, of my novels begins in 2098 uh, after America and the West has lost World War III to the Islamic Empire. Democracy is dead. We're run by an entity called the family 
led by grandma and discredited baseball, which has been associated with the old great America, the failed America, um, is down to playing its final season ever at Amazon Stadium in the Bronx. <laughs> well, some of that uh, rings true. Uh, but I again, now we come back to optimism, optimism and baseball. Uh, on, <laughs> I think baseball is on a, a decline, and I don't think ba- baseball as we know it, or as anybody knew it, will be around much longer. I think it's it's uh, now it's it, I say that fully cognizant that the LA Dodgers just spent seven hundred million dollars on one player. Well, they um, haven't done it yet. It's it's in um, arbit- it's it's um arbitration, I think, or it's being it's on hold, being oh, I challenged. Didn't, I was not aware of that. Thanks for correcting me on that. But no, I, just, I just didn't want you. I just didn't want you to, because I know you were going to bid on them. I know that you were going to put a bid on them, <laughs> and I didn't want you to just give up yet. It's still in negotiations, so do you have a chance? Well, so uh, Gary, what about that? Do you? Uh, and I know that baseball is just the. Um, vehicle to which you tell this story but do you think baseball is is <laughs> professional major league baseball is around to stay and will be around with in 2099 well and that's the, the the core of the book is that baseball is in decline um that it's been superseded by football and basketball that it you know i'm a sentimental guy and to love baseball you must have you must be sentimental because and i don't want to you know dis football and basketball, but there's nothing like baseball. And in terms of the, uh, you know, the association with our history, the integration with our history, the way it mirrors our history, baseball requires, one of the characters in my novels says that when he walks into a baseball park and he sees the green, it's like looking at the front lawn of God. And you need, you know, you need that in baseball, the, the numbers of baseball, you know, 56, 511, I have no idea who's the all-time passing leader in the NFL. And right. does that number even matter? So it, it has a special place, baseball, and the society change. I mean, America is no longer a sentimental uh, nation. Baseball change, as, as in the book. And in 2065, uh, during the war with Islam, uh, baseball activists and radicals uh, wanted the war to be prosecuted more vigorously and to use nuclear weapons, at least tactical nuclear weapons. So during the seventh game of the World Series at Amazon Stadium between the Yankees and the Chicago Cubs, they tried to take out the government in a terrorist attack, and they failed. So the fury fell down upon baseball. The Hall of Fame was destroyed. Ballparks were destroyed. Baseball, except for crumbling Amazon Stadium where there's still skeletons in the outfield as a, as a monument to the, um, to the treachery, uh, is the only thing that exists. But then... The main character, Papi Nidak, who's a baseball historian, a former college baseball player, he celebrates his, his birthday, drinks too much bourbon. Some things never change in the future, okay? <laughs> Wakes up the next morning, and there's this smelly guy sleeping on his floor. He says, who are you? And the guy insists he's Mickey Mantle. This is just what I need in my life, right? That's what he thinks. A few <laughs> days later, a courtly southern gentleman named Ty Cobb shows up. And then from the future of baseball comes the Shohei Otani, speaking of, um, Mushi Lopez, a woman, the all-time greatest switch hitter. Yes, there are women. It's a, the, the book is very, you know, you talk about predictions. This is dystopian um, speculative fiction. So I'm not predicting anything. What I want to do is say, the reader could say, well, I could see how this could happen. 
Okay, so you could see that in our current climate, maybe we would lose the will for democracy. You could see maybe our military would lose the will. Uh, you, you could see how religion is banned in this future. So you have to see, you have to show the reader not transplanting 2023 because there's never any mention of Trump or Biden. I don't talk about Tucker Carlson's three terms as president. I don't scare anyone like that. Okay, <laughs> everything everything I do in the future is totally fictional. But you have to. But I have my own credibility, and that's what. And I have my own rules that I create for my society, which sometimes is difficult. For example, one of the main characters gets pregnant. So, all right, so my first thought, well, she's going to get an abortion. Then I realized, well, in this world, America lost 17 million, including 4 million children. The family is based on family and love and real relationships, which is why social media is banned under the anti-narcissism laws. So she would not be allowed to abort because they're restocking the population. You see, so it's not about some right wing, you know, pro-lifers, you know, say, no, 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 abortion must be illegal. It's my own rules. And I think that's what you invite the reader to accept. Right. It seems like, uh, first of all, for a now, I'm not sure if I'm characterizing it right. But when you say Amazon Stadium, it seems like you're uh, painting kind of Amazon as part of this dystopian future. Which is fun, and I I tend to agree with that outlook. But for an author to come out and and because so many books to rely on Amazon as a as a marketing place, it's kind of a brave move. <laughs> well, I'm having a brave move um, talking about a world where we're at war with Islam. Yeah. There are some people uh, I um, I tried to hire a publicist who would work with me before. She said I I can't represent the book. And, and it was like, why? Because it, it, through two books and now three, A Dog Out to Peace just was published. Only one reader, only one reviewer ever accused me of Islamophobia. This is not a screed against Islam. This is a dark world. We can see how something like this could happen. How do we get out of it? How do we get out of a cycle of hatred, of war, of violence? And that is the darkness of the world. But within it, as all fiction, novels, plays, movies, TV, it's about the people. Right. It's not the political messages, the speeches. That's nonsense. It's how the ordinary people, and there are just very ordinary people who just want to get along. They just, they want their jobs. They want to be in love. They want to be healthy. That's all they want across the world, both in America and the caliphate of Islam. And how do they come together? And I think for a writer, for an artist these days, it's so easy to point fingers and scream. Say, you dirty, because we do a lot of that, okay? Writers, it's, it's our job to hold up a mirror to society. It's been, we've been done it for, for thousands of years now, okay? But you also have to show a way forward. Through the darkness, you have to show a light. And what I try to do in these books is show that maybe we can come together. Maybe there is more that uh, unites us. And, and, and in these novels, it's about faith, not religious faith, but faith in ourselves and each other and a well-thrown curveball. All right. Uh, I'm going to come back to baseball for a second because you were talking about, because I agree with you again, but I am of the same era that you are uh, of. And uh, there is a majesty and a nostalgia 
that is triggered by people of my age about baseball. But I'm not so sure the youth. Have you gone to a game in the last uh, 10 years, 15 years? Oh, yeah, yeah. They don't even know. They need to be told when to cheer. The scoreboard has to come on and say, make some noise. And they don't even yeah. know why they're making noise. They just do it. They're like yeah. robots. And they don't yeah. They don't appreciate the game. like, <laughs> and Or even the, the majesty of seeing a baseball field as you walk out into a stadium. That feeling that I had when I was a kid. I don't think young people today relate to that at all. No, uh, I agree with you. Right. Totally. And what, what, what happens in the books is that baseball is revived, okay? And, um, but the, the quality of play is so bad that the then commissioner Puppy Needick says, all right, we're gonna go back, you like things like the hit and run is considered a trick play, so you can't use it anymore, <laughs> all right? So they, they were reduced to having home runs based on distance. So you got one run, two runs, three runs compared to the distance. I mean, uh, that was the, the, the Michigas of baseball in the future. So he says, screw that. We're going back to the 20th century. And nothing that happened in the rules in the 21st century are valid. He even gets rid of the designated hitter. He doesn't even let ballpark food that came in 2003 to be served. And all the stadiums are rebuilt by robots. It's a society. It's um, kind of a metaphor that robots must be accepted as life forms. Does a robot have a soul? I mean, we could, you know, you can use, go back to that a pot commercial and you, you need a few bonfuls to contemplate that, okay? So the right. robots rebuild all the baseball parks to the ancient, to the old architecture. And then they're renamed, not this, I don't even know the names of baseball stadiums anymore, but there's Shea Stadium, there's Forbes Field, there's Crosley Field, and it goes back to the old school. And then because this, of this world, um, because of the polarization of the past, fans were prohibited from rooting for their teams. Wow. Okay. Yes, because it sets it up. You couldn't have, well, I, I don't get upset at me, but opinion journalism is, is a band. Also, I'm sorry. <laughs> but, um, and so they bring back radio. But base, uh, so fans could get excited and you're not allowed to wear like, you know, Mantle's number seven jerseys. Wow. Because that's celebrity worship. Oh my so goodness. this is the world. So, but what happens is baseball, the government is crumbling. This, this nanny state is falling apart because people just want to be freer. Baseball is the point epicenter of the resistance. So they lead the charge and baseball eventually leads through the three novels, um, leads America back to democracy. And there is ultimately in book three, a real 2099 World Series. Well, uh, yeah, don't be too. I hope you didn't just give away the ending. I no. always. <laughs> no, 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 no. But uh, here's what I would say about this. Now, uh, I am not, despite what anybody might uh, have gleaned from the, the very uh, opening, you know, monologue or whatever that the hell it is that I do. Uh, I am not uh, really. Uh, a fan of either party, but uh, left wing, right wing, all, all this kind of stuff. I do think we need a strong Republican Party, and I think the Republican Party has gone off the rails. And I, I would love to see them get back to where, uh, you know, they were. And I know the system was broken for, for on both sides, but that level of broken is not where we're at today. So I'm going to say that your 
novel does not seem like a far off distant and i know 2099 is not distant for a lot of people but it sounds like it's 2029 or or closer i mean i think we're in that position right now and that's scary uh, a lot of the things you just described i again i was talking about some of these things today where uh you know but i do think because you kind of pose it as if we lose religion i think organized religion is a cause of a lot of our our division do you agree or disagree with that well i disagree i, I think it's how it's used I think if organized religion is to bring you faith and peace and make you do good things and be better to people, then it's wonderful. If it's set out that my religion is better than your religion, so you suck, I, then I'm with you totally. It's all how we execute, you know. And I, by the way, I'm an independent, so I share your... Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, is it okay if they suck, but it has nothing to do with religion? Sorry? Is it okay if the people suck, but it has nothing to do with religion? Yes. Okay. <laughs> no, we don't want any of that because no. it's just, we, you know, we live in a, a society where you can't even have dialogues with people anymore. No, right? you're it, you absolutely can't even right. Because everyone is just yelling. Everyone just profiles the other person as a political or a this or what do you mean you voted for or you believe in. It's like, whoa, it, I don't know how we get back to that. America has lost its center. And even as Matt... You know, I, we both came of age in the 60s, okay? And Bobby Kennedy was my first hero without a ball, okay? I mean, there was Mantle and Joe Namath and Wolf Frazier, but it was Bobby Kennedy. But we still, despite, and it was terrible times what was going on. I'm not in any sense, you know, sugarcoating it, but there was still a sense of America. Right. That we were Americans. That's gone. That, yeah. There was, you know, it's, it's, and it's, that's, really scary because i don't know how we walk back from that i don't either this is a, this is a, a real concern that, and i don't i'm kind of full i'm a pessimist and you seem to be more optimistic and i don't know how you maintain that optimism but i am a, a pessimist and it, it comes across and people are always talking about uh my uh, you know i don't have a lot to live for and in a way <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to be around to see this if it's going where I think it's going. That I would love, you know, I would love to have a long life uh, if we could dial it back. Uh, just where I'm going with this is, there was this film about uh, cancel culture, and it kept coming back to political stuff, uh, political divide. But we're not at. We are at the point where. Mets and Yankees fans will kill each other yeah. on, on social media over something stupid. Like, I mean, we could argue about just about anything where we used to be able to argue about things like baseball and, and, and but still not end up wanting to kill people over it or just get like really, really vicious and, and vindictive uh, and you know, all that stuff. So I think we've lost the capacity to even just have fun with, with something like baseball and just, you know what I mean? And just enjoy it for a, as a pastime and a, a diversion from our troubles. Now it is a catalyst to our troubles. And I don't, I don't know how we walk back from that. No. And you'd have thought after COVID, what, 6 million people around the world died? Maybe right. it would have softened us up a little. It's worse. Right. People, the sense of um, being polite is a lost art. Right. Right. You just people just you can say also, I believe social media 
uh, because we've lived in silos and we think that, you know, the, the, the thousand followers on Facebook are our friends. They could care less about you. At the end of the day, they're not really your friends. Right, we've, yeah. We, we've substituted this artificiality for real emotions because people are afraid. You talk about like younger people and you read stories about how impossible it is to date, like, you know, your 20s or your 30s. And what is that about? Right. Right. You, you got, yeah, online dating and uh, Tinder or whatever. Uh, whatever. I, don't, I don't understand any of it. But no. now I'm feeling like a dinosaur again, and which this happens <laughs> quite, quite often. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, how do you maintain any kind of hope or optimism? And, and when you're writing this book, I mean, because it sounds like if I were writing the book that you, you, you're presenting here today, I would be talking myself into what into more a more pessimistic state i would not be saying there is a bright side to this and i can i can bring it out and i can uh, highlight something good here well because you create characters who are basically good but flawed and you 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 operate from there you don't uh, every we all do things we, we're ashamed of we shouldn't do but but we're like characters you know all the world's a stage and we have to tolerate the flaws. And so in my books, these are decent people who sometimes do the wrong things. And I think basically we, the vast majority of us are decent people. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat or an independent or you like the Red Sox. We're still basically decent people. And I, so that is my hope. You could have left the Red Sox out of this. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, you know what? I want to agree with you. I want to agree with you to say that most people are good people. But I was talking about this guy, Nick Fuentes, this morning. And I, I, he's a young man. And I keep thinking that in the back of my head. When I hear him uh, spewing out all this hate and stuff, he's a young man. And I want to believe that there is some redemption and some hope for learning. Like, he doesn't always have to be full of that hate. And maybe there, because I... At the at my core, I believe everybody is capable of good and evil, and we all have that in us. And as you learn, you kind of grow and, and that kind of stuff. But some of this stuff is just so dark. Like, how do you pull somebody like that back into humanity? You know what well, look, I mean? Look at history. I read a lot of history. And when you read history, you're not shocked so much. Right? I mean, think of like, I don't know, 1942. Okay, we were getting our butts kicked by the Germans and the Japanese. You want to talk about scary, right? I mean, I'm a Jew. I've, we've been around 4,000 years. By all logic, we shouldn't be. <laughs> it's just, it makes no sense how we still have survived. But somehow we have. And, and it's the human spirit. It's ultimately, even when there is oppression, there's a, there's a wonderful book. I Will Bear Witness Diary by Victor Klemperer. He was a, um, a Jewish professor in Dresden, married to a Gentile woman, and he kept a diary from 1933 to 1945. It's not about the Holocaust, because I can't read about that anymore. But it's just about how you survive. It's the human element. Despite them saying, well, you can't walk on this side of the street. I'm hungry, honey. What's for dinner? And we have to, you know, kind of remember those little things. When I ride the subway, okay, when people come to New York to visit, 
the first thing I do is make them ride the subway. Maybe it's a little sketchier now. <laughs> no, but, I you know, like but it. I, I want, I say, sit in the subway car with me. Look at the, you know, the rainbow of people, everyone. And no one is hitting anyone, everyone. Yeah. And when some crazy person comes in the subway car, everyone is looking at him. And everyone is exchanging looks. You know, it's just, people just want to get by. Yeah. You know what it is? When that crazy person does show up on the subway, instead of uh, trying to deal with the situation and placate that crazy person and get, get him some help or whatever, the first instinct we have is to get out our phones and put it on social media so we can say to everybody, look how terrible New York is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, because I... Last uh, in March of this year, I was uh, went to the city to meet a friend who was uh, here from from England, and we we spent some time in the city, and uh, walking around the city, and it was just surprised that he didn't see any violence, he didn't see any you know any of the kind of stuff that you would see on a daily basis on videotape or video stuff that people got on their phones from New York City for people who want to say, well, New York City is just a hellscape and all that kind of stuff. So I, I kind of take that as a grain of salt with anything. When anybody talks about any part of the world, when I see them using a 60-second video clip as an example of how things have gone completely off the rails, I kind of say, well, I know you're just cherry-picking what you want me to see to paint a picture for me. It's hard to maintain that, though. Uh, right. Well, no. you're showing a picture of like three bad people out of a million. Yeah. But that's the, you know, you know, if it, if it bleeds, it leads. Right. That's the media. They want, you know, they, they want to ex right. aggravate that and exacerbate that and get everyone arguing and fighting instead of fight, you know, the people who maybe we should be addressing these things to. Yeah. I'm a sucker for. Um... You didn't have to finish that sentence. Yeah. Okay. I'm a sucker for um. No, you could just say uh, I'm a sucker and just stop right there. No, I got I got to for um, so I'm going to continue. Uh, this idea of uh, painting an optimistic, hopeful future in movies and books and all that kind of stuff, but it, it doesn't last. So if I read your book, when I get to the end of it, I might have an uplifted feeling, but it'll last me two days, and then I'll be back to my old pessimist self. Uh, do, you, do you experience that? Yeah, well, um, I also write plays. And so it's there's the immediacy of it. And it's something so wonderful. I mean, one of my plays is, um, it's one of it's a black and white cookie, and it, it, this past summit was premiered in Los Angeles and also um, in did we Black lose? screens matter. Well, yeah, hopefully. Uh, you know what? I think Wait. I was getting a phone call. Okay, there you, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're <laughs> back. So it, it was in Los Angeles and New Jersey, and it's about um, the unlikely yet powerful relationship between a conservative African-American newsstand owner in the East Village who finally reopens his, his business after COVID, only get hit by um, a huge rent increase, and he has to close up and retire and go live with his his uh, uh, niece in Florida. So enter um, uh, a Meshuggah communist Jew who's like a radical from the 60s who tells him we're going to fight back. So they have to overcome what seems like they have nothing in common, but they unite to take on the system. And so at the end, we'd have talkbacks and people would say how touched they were. And 
yeah, I'm not changing the world. I, but if you have, but if you reach someone, I like to think that it all doesn't just dribble away. That you say, are you going to go back to your old ways in two days? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe you'll remember something and a possibility and, and, and a friendship that really on, on paper shouldn't exist. But then you see two lonely old men coming together. It, it makes you think that this is possible. And I so think maybe Matt really is like 1% less negative that after he reads I can't hear you, GD. Oh, so maybe Matt is 1% less negative than let what before he read your book. Yeah, yeah. No, well, so that would, I would take it. I'll take yeah. the 1%. You can't hear him? That's weird. Can you hear me? No, you, can't, you lost your audio. We could hear you, but you yeah. can't hear. That's strange. Uh, I think Gary probably got a, ah, yeah, headphones won't hurt. Hello, testing, one, two. Check one. <laughs> Ceiling check. Mic check. Shirt check. Testing one, two, three. One, two. Uh, testing one, two, one. This two. is really annoying me. I have to move this. What is that? This. Can you hear laziness. me? Yes, we hear you. Can you hear me? No, can't hear me. Uh, why don't you leave and come back? Uh, I can't even say that. Uh, let me see if I can put this in somehow on the screen. Banners. Hello? Uh, I wish I could type faster. I'm not a good typist, and I'm typing with one hand. Uh, yeah. I was going to say try exiting Can you hear me now? Yes. Can you hear us? Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay, I can't hear you. Yeah, try leaving and... Uh, boy, uh, we apologize for this, folks at home and on the radio. Uh, I guess you could be at home and on the radio, right? Yeah. How's but this, Matt? Most, most people... Most people uh, who are listening on the radio are in cars, I would assume. Maybe that's a bad assumption. Anyway, yeah, so he's going to try leaving and coming back. Uh, interesting. Now, yeah, people, if you're driving, you don't have to leave and come back. You can stay. Just Yeah, just uh, don't drive off the road or anything like that. Or uh, don't try texting us what you... All right, it looks like Gary's back. Hello? Can you hear us now? Yes. Yes. Okay. I don't know where we were. Oh, we, uh, GD was saying that after uh, the experience of reading your book, I might be 1% less negative than I am now. <laughs> I would take that. I would take 1%. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Every journey starts with a, a single step, right? Yes. So, yes. And that's important. And we, and we all have to connect. Right. Um, so now when you start, this is the third book. When you started this uh, uh, endeavor, was that the plan, or were you just writing one book and uh, always knew it would be, uh, or just assumed it would be one book, and now it's led to two more books? Actually, I started, um, it was, I was going to write four books, and my publisher said, well, it, um, wait, I'm just resetting up here. Forgive me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And they said, well, they don't want four books anymore, that they want trilogies. So I said, I, okay, well, the fourth book is going to be a little large, longer. <laughs> right. I, mean, I, I, I started it in, in 2015. 
May 2015, my wife and I were having Sunday breakfast, um, eating everything bagels with a shmir, listening to the Beatles. And it popped into my head, what about a book uh, where America has lost World War III and were run by, led by grandma and baseball's begins its final season ever? And so it just came. And I know it sounds a little trippy, but I, I was in college in the 70s, so you can forgive me. Um, <laughs> uh, and, but the characters take over, and that's the, the, the splendor of it. They come in, they go through the door. I don't, you know, we could discuss who's opening the door, and they just take over. And writers will all, all say that. You go, oh, you're very precious. Yeah, I, I, I hear what you're saying. And, uh, but here's the thing, though. When you, when you say you started this in 2015, the world has already drastically changed in the time it took you to, to write these three books. And it, yes. it has already uh, exponentially sped up the amount of you know we can call it evolution whatever where where we're going so that that part of it is really interesting to me just looking at that you started in 2015 here we are uh less than 10 years uh later and the world is already a much darker place yes than when you began to write this stuff yes and it might be even darker right yeah i, I unfortunately i think we have for whatever reason we we won't learn the lessons we meant to learn until it gets much darker. Sometimes you have to, you know, hit rock bottom in order to spring back. I, unfortunately, I don't want to see society hit rock bottom, but again, I am a pessimist. But somebody, Willie says in the, in the uh, chat room, uh, in it's in spirit form. It basically, we, I talk about that a lot because you mentioned the Beatles, the Get Back movie, and Paul McCartney is uh, writing, but it seems like he's not writing, like, like he's receiving. He's he's uh he's just pulling words out of the ether and saying, "Oh, write that down. That's a good line." Like it, it just came out of his mouth. Right. That kind of thing. That's what the writing experience is like for you. Yes, it's um, it, it, the worst thing, of course, is the blank page. Right. Just to say, "All right, I suck. It's all dried up. <laughs> I'm dead." I'm no, dead. the blank page is full of potential. Yes, until you <laughs> stare at it for like fifteen minutes and you go. <laughs> <laughs> and, but you're absolutely right, Philip Roth. There's been so many things to say about right. Philip Roth had a great advice. He said, when you're writing, don't write yourself out. Don't burn out. Save like a paragraph for the next day, which is very good. Um, I'm also not the most organized person creatively. Um, my wife uh, had set up when I was writing, she set up like what she called a genius board. So she took like, you know, cardboard and I did post-its with all my ideas. And I put them up on the genius board. It took me like three hours. I was so proud of myself. I never looked at it again. Because to me, the joy is being surprised. I kind of knew where I would end. It's, you know, three books, 1,500 pages later. But how I got there was wonderful. In fact, when I had the, the players come back, and, and um, it was Mickey Mantle, but it wasn't always Ty Cobb. At first, it was Babe Ruth. And he was just so overbearing that I said, just get out of the way. This book is not about you. So I pushed him away. Then I brought back Reggie Jackson, who was boring, brilliant, uh, you know, a great player. He wasn't exciting. It wasn't until you find, you know, it's the editing, the constant editing. When people say, well, what advice would you give a writer? Be prepared that it's hard work. Yeah. I love when someone says they've written the first draft of the book or I'm ready to send it to a publisher. I said, really? Are you? Have you lost your mind? I my my last 
a dug out to piece was in manuscript form, 910 pages. It's a pretty friggin' long book. And I did 10 drafts. So I'm a little, you know, <laughs> might be a little crazy myself, <laughs> but that's a little crazy. But it's hard work because, you know, people are going to read what you wrote right. and you owe it. If someone's spending time and money to read my books, it is, I am honored that they've done that. But, or coming into a theater to see a play, but it's up to me to make sure it's the best I can do. All right. Uh, do you feel like uh, this part of it, this chapter of your life is is done, and now uh, you have to kind of find new inspiration? Because it's at at the end of the third book, which was going to be the fourth book, <laughs> uh, you you've completed your story, and yeah. then where do you go from here? Do you think about those things? Well, I'm I'm done with this story. It was very sad to say goodbye to these characters. And I lived with them for nearly 10 years. They were, you know, they were my friends. Um, I, I write, like I said, I write plays. I have a, um, a new play called, uh, I wrote a play, Dancing on Glass, which is about anti-Semitism at a private school, which is also extremely timely, anti-Zionism at a private school in Brooklyn. Um, and then I have a, a new play called Walking Charlie, which will be um, a Zoom a live Zoom premiere January 14th on Create Theater Space. So it's, now, uh, it's a romantic dramedy. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, the Dancing on Glass one, is that take, does that take place after a wedding? When they no. walk in the glass? And... <laughs> no, 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 no. No, no stepping on the glass, no. <laughs> that is okay. your con contribution to the program this morning, this, this, this stomping <laughs> on the glass joke. <laughs> it was a question. I, I don't, I'm just no, asking. No. no. Oh, th okay, thank you. That's all. Okay. I'm done. I'm gone. I'm gone now. No, 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 it's my no, last no, day. No, it's my no, last no, show anyway. His last minute on the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, before I let you go, now we have uh, your the link to where you can find out all, about all your books. It's uh, bchpress.com, author Gary uh, underscore. <laughs> the link's in the description. Just click yeah. it. Um, Brooklyn. Let's talk about Brooklyn a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I've, I've, I've been to Brooklyn recently uh, for comedy shows, a couple of different comedy shows I went there. Uh, it's not the Brooklyn that I grew up in that I used no. to go visit my grandmother. It's, no. it's become a major city. Sure. Uh, it's, it, it's for people who haven't been here, because they think uh, we, we know Brooklyn is part of New York City, but Brooklyn is a city unto itself. It's, uh, I think in the beginning of Welcome Back, Cotter says uh, America's seventh largest city. Uh, talk to me about the evolution of, of, of Brooklyn and where it is now. Uh, is is Does it bear any resemblance to the Brooklyn that you grew up in? No. Well, I grew up in the Bronx. Oh. I grew up six blocks from Yankee Stadium. Oh, so that's why you're a Yankee fan. I thought you grew yeah. up in Brooklyn. Well, but my father was um, a Dodgers fan in, in, in the Bronx. So we flipped it around. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so you were, you were right. You, you said that. I, we moved, um, uh, I moved here to Brooklyn, into Park Slope in 1981. And people in Manhattan said, well, well I guess we won't be seeing you much anymore. I said, what, what, you ever hear the subway? It goes to Brooklyn. But back then, it was, you know, it was very small, isolated neighborhoods. And then it gentrified. And now it might be like the fourth largest city in America. Right. It's, it's wonderful. We live across the street from Prospect Park. Uh, it's fun. It's uh, it's so humming and vital, and you really don't have to go into Manhattan. Right, and there right. is a vital uh, creative 
uh, energy there. Uh, people, photographers, videographers, uh, authors, yes. musicians, yeah. uh, comedians. There's a lot going on in Brooklyn that it, it really feels like a Renaissance city uh, when I when I visited there. Anyway, it, it, which is so different than the, the Brooklyn I uh, visited every weekend to go see my grandmother when I was a little kid. Where, just, where did she live? East New York. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we also have a baseball team, the Brooklyn Cyclones at Coney yeah. Island. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. I mean, come on, you go to a game in the summer, you see the, the actual cyclone roller coaster, you know, off to the side, you smell the ocean breeze, you have a Nathan's hot dog. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, I know. It's it's a beautiful experience. And I, I hope more people uh check it out. But uh young people were at least in the last ten years I've seen a lot of young people moving there. And so it's it's kinda like a revital revitalized city. So part of what and where I'm going with this is part of that exemplifies the hope that is in your novel. Yes. <laughs> yes, we have to have hope. We right. have to wake up every morning and believe it's going to be okay. Tough now, but, when, make but, it. but if young people are the ones that are repopulating the area, the, the, the history of that place, I mean, the buildings are there, but it was the people that made that place, that, you know, wonderful and loving and so forth. And so the new people aren't going to have the same values, right? Well, they're going to have their own values. Yeah. You know, people are going to, yeah, it's going to be different cultures, but, yeah. you know, people are still people. Yeah. Yeah. And, and when I say young, I'm not talking about uh, children. <laughs> no, <laughs> okay. like 30, year, 30 year olds. And, oh, no, yeah. I was thinking yeah. like, I was thinking like first and second graders. Never mind. <laughs> Thirty yeah. something people, and yeah. they, okay. they are of a creative mindset. A lot of creatives are moving yeah. to Brooklyn. Like it's the place to go to make your movie. It's a place to yeah. go to put your comedy stuff out there. It's a place to go if you're a musician. There's lots of all that kind of stuff. No. So much, you know, it's it's a creative hub. It really is. It's a, it's an amazing place right now. Uh, if I were young, I would probably be going there. Anyway, uh, the book is called A Dugout to Peace. It is the third in a trilogy. Uh, you can find out more about it at BCA, BHC Press. Gary, it's been uh, a pleasure to talk to you again. Uh, do come back sometime. I, I Thank you. Thank you. Let me know next time you're in Brooklyn to Comedy uh, Club. I will do. We'll meet up. I would love that. That would okay. be a lot of fun. All Very right. cool. Thanks. Have a Have blessed a... holiday. You too. Bye for now. Take care. Bye-bye. Gary Morgenstein, folks. Uh, book is called Dugout to Peace. Uh, links in the description. So, uh, any thoughts on uh, on that? No, I I know you're just gonna make jokes and stuff, but no, actually, because I didn't read the book, so I was like, had some questions, but also wasn't clear on some things. Like he said, we lost World War Three to basically an Islamic state. Right. He said, okay, because the is Islam is like three different sects. You know what I'm saying? So I was just wondering which sect did do. I just wanted to know. That is uh, something I'm curious about, too, because we talk about Islam as if it's one thing. But the uh, it's not just three sects. It's a lots of different nations that are Islamic. And right. uh, I don't see them. It's, it's almost like... Um, uh, like today's Republican Party, I don't, I don't think, I don't think there's any unity among Islam as there, and I don't think there's any unity really, other than uh, even if there's a large segment, let's say, that is completely in the Trump corner. But there, I don't think the Republican Party is necessarily unified behind that. I think it's a uh, probably forty percent or less 
Uh, right. So my questions were going to be about the war, but then he said that basically the book takes place after the war. So maybe he didn't, the war is just something that happened and he doesn't really address the mechanics of it. So that's why we he does in the first two books. And I have read the first two. Okay. Uh, but yeah. Um, but even so, he doesn't address the, the uh, fact of, I think it's just creating the, uh, the, the villain. And it's not necessarily like based in like, uh, the details of how the Islamic state would come together and unify and become, a, right, you know, okay. all that kind of, yeah. I that's what it, I was wondering is that cause, cause they can't, you know, they, they're, no, they, it's, they're, they're as killing as each they other of, as much as they're killing everybody else. Right. Uh, yeah. As soon as they got rid of the Jews, they turned on themselves. It's like, okay, they're gone. Now who's going to run this place? Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, a, uh, that's kind of the same as, Christianity in people who really uh, embrace the teachings of Christianity and Nick Fuentes' branch of Christianity are right. not the same people. Right. I, I, you're not going to get everybody who calls themselves a Christian on board with the Nick Fuentes kill everybody <laughs> branch of Christianity. I don't, right. I don't see where Christ ever said kill all, kill everybody. <laughs> no, no. I think he actually stopped after the bankers. I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I think Jesus said, "Um, everybody who cannot fit through the eye of a needle, we will kill." I think that's what. I don't wow, uh, I I wouldn't fit. No, well, it'd have to be a big needle. Yeah, and he never just said he never says how big the needle is. So that's the rub. Nah, that's you know that's a good question. Uh, Space needle. Could be, yeah, could be like a really, like a, from the, what was that stupid movie, Michael, where Travolta is the world's biggest uh, ball of thread, the world's biggest frying pan. He was going to see all these. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Can, I know because, the movie. I never saw it. Yeah. He was uh, an angel, right? He yeah, he's an angel, angel but he, he was obsessed with stopping at all these landmarks, like, come see the world's biggest frying pan. Come see the world's oh. biggest ball of thread. Could the world's biggest needle. Yeah, uh, yeah, which would be a little bit bigger than the space needle because uh, the Seattle—is that where it is, Seattle? Yeah, the space needle. Yeah. But you could actually have a smaller needle with a bigger eye. That's true. That's true. You could have a needle this big with an eye that's humongous that you could fit a big fat bastard through. Yeah, yeah. and you'd be safe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know, interesting stuff. It, you know, it's. It, uh, are you? Because it sounded like you you were more optimistic than I am. Are you in the, or maybe you're just joking about that stuff? But are you an optimist at all? For any, I don't do you know. See anymore. any hope for humanity? I I only is why I I say yes. I see hope for humanity because otherwise, just give up. If I don't think there's a hope, then I should just cash in my chips. But I have like nieces and nephews that I want to see that the world is going to be a better place for, even though I'm not going to be here. That's funny. Uh, I mean, I don't mean funny in a funny ha ha way. I mean, funny oh, I don't, yeah, I hate to be funny ha ha after all this time. I yeah, yeah, it, it would kill. no, but the because I lost my son, as you know, but and when right. I lost my son, I stopped caring about everybody. And I do have nieces, uh, I have nephews, I don't have nieces, <laughs> but I should care about them and care about leaving a better world for them. But I, if I'm being honest, that, that doesn't register in my, my head, I don't care. I don't. I don't think we have anything positive to build on. I, you see, and I and I really and 
I'm a downer, aren't I? I'm a fucking well, bummer. I see, and I don't even look at it that way because that would be judgmental. I don't look at it like that. I just think you're you. You know, I just I just want to leave the world better than I found it. And that's literally at the core of my, you know, the core of what I what I believe. Even when I'm when even when I make bad jokes and stuff like that. Wait a minute. You found the world? Oh yeah, I found it. It was first it was Christopher Columbus found it first, and then I found it right after him. Well, then he found it. You didn't find it. Well, he didn't remember where he placed it. Ah. I had uh, to find it again. Okay. Well, uh, it's like all those people that find Jesus. Jesus gets found like a billion times a day. I would say lose it, lose that world, lose it, just lose it. <laughs> uh, I want to tell, I want to show you some of the merchandise that we have. New merchandise. Uh, can we show you? Oh, this is uh, you can get this stuff in, in time for Christmas, by the way, if you order right now. Uh, Willie's oh shit hat, uh, oh shit face. If you look at the back of these designs, uh, also got he's got the smiling face on the back so you have the astonished face on the front oh, oh shit and then the uh, oh shit uh you can get them in time it's called the one one will see what hits the fan hat and it's available uh the design is available on different kind of uh shirts and and hoodies and even a bag so uh available okay. right now Go to minddogtv.com. Up on the top uh, of the nav, it says shop, and then under that merch, and you'll find all the stuff. Lots of lots of cool stuff here, uh, and you can get if you order now. I think you still have time for Christmas on all the stuff. There's even uh, this stuff, uh, which uh, can we show the design on here? Yeah, there we go. Sunday will never be the same. Anyway, uh, so that's available right now. Check that out, and we appreciate your patronage. Uh, and it will keep the show uh, alive if you care about keeping the show alive. Uh, Kelly was the first one to actually order the Willie shirt. Now, uh, as a president of his fan club, she should get the stuff for free, but that's not for me to say. Now, are his shirts numbered so she knows she has the first one? Um, I don't know. And is it going to go to Willie first so that he can sign it and send it to her? I'm pretty sure she knows that she's the first one because as soon as I posted it, she jumped on it. <laughs> so if uh, if she didn't know she was the first one, I think she's got to assume she's in the top ten. But I mean, really, uh, as much as we do business, uh, it's probably uh, safe to assume that if you've ordered anything in the last year, you're the first. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, speaking of uh, ordering in time for Christmas, Creative Live has that 70% off site-wide sale that uh, is run, time is running out. It only lasts until uh, Christmas Eve. So if you want to, and it makes a great gift. If you have a creative in your life, you want to uh, get them something and you just can't think of well, what to get them, a course on Creative Live might be a good idea. Check it out. It's time to unleash your creative excellence. Dreams won't work if you don't. They never happen overnight, and they rarely follow a straight line. Excellence is a result of the hustle, consistently pushing to do better, and success looks different for everyone. CreativeLive.com charts paths and tailors content for students, but they also encourage independent thinking and exploration. Go outside of your comfort zone. Who knows? You might actually like it. Right now, you can get up to 70% off 
through this exclusive offer for Coffee with the Dog. CreativeLive.com has site-wide sale for Coffee with the Dog listeners. Save up to 70% off. Go to MindDogTV.com and click on the link on the homepage now. And once again, this uh, blank screen is brought to you by CreativeLive.com. Anyway, um, looks like third time's a charm. Um, Paul Zolman, who has uh, previously been scheduled on his program twice before, has shown up. He's in the in the back, and we're going to get to meet him in just one minute. I'm going to preface what I'm uh, what we're about to uh, learn about by saying I have never uh, subscribed to this idea of love languages. My wife brings it up to me all the time. I don't speak her love language. I think it's a, a something that was invented to uh, for women to beat their men up with. That's what I think it, I think it is. But Paul Zolman obviously uh, thinks otherwise, and he will explain uh, a little bit more about it. He has created a new way to demonstrate the principles of love languages, a uh, profound way to learn all five love languages to give them away. Now, I still think there are seven love languages. I, that's I, what I was going to say. Who decides the number, and can, can we, you know... Uh, you know, really ha- have a hardened uh, rule about how many can we can we invent a new love language? We have um, to. My, my brother and I, we people thought that we hated each other for you no, know, and we didn't hate each other. We just didn't get along. But we did have a love language, and that was insulting each other. Or, or well, uh, <laughs> and you know, he'll he'll call me on my birthday, and he go like, you know, no matter what, we're. Family, I have to I say, I have it. I have uh, no problem expressing my love for you by telling you uh, insulting things. So I, I'm with your brother. I, I'd I'd like to dig him up and hang out with him for a day. <laughs> uh, now I'll, I'll, I'll arrange that. <laughs> let me finish his description so we can let him in here by giving them away. Your vi- your vision will improve to the point. Wait, is he an eye doctor? By giving them away, your vision will improve to the point that you can see them coming your way and respond appropriately. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Paul Zolman uh, to Coffee with the Dog. Paul, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure, Thank to, be with, pleasure to be with you, Dog. After that introduction, I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for the show. Oh, wow. Well, uh, don't, don't let my negativity uh, uh, kind of dampen your uh, enthusiasm for being here. I'm sure there are people uh, in the audience who subscribe to this stuff. I always felt like uh, all this stuff is a tool for women to use against men. That's, that's my uh, take on it. What are the five languages and where do they come from? And uh, could there be more? There could be more, but I, I, I go a different direction with that, and I'll get to that in a minute. But the five love languages was uh, kind of identified, the theory was identified by Dr. Gary Chapman. He wrote a book about it and published it in 1992. So it's a little over 30 years old. And the theory is that everyone has a way that they like to be loved, one specific way, more than any other way. And that, that theory holds true with most people. They like one one way or another, and the, the different love languages are the words. Some people just like to hear the words. They like to hear I love you. They like to hear the compliments. That is the way they feel loved more than any other way. Another way is people like to spend time with one another. My wife likes to watch Korean dramas. And uh, they're okay. They're a little slow, really slow. You set your clock back 50 years, you're, you're in good shape there. Because it takes nine or ten episodes before they ever kiss. Just kiss. Or maybe even hold hands. So it takes a while for those those 
Korean dramas to, to get started. I like Hallmark movies. She doesn't. But spending that time with each other, uh, we don't even have to talk. Just spending time together is one way that people like to be loved. Another way is people like to be served. They like their car washed. They like the carpet vacuumed. They like the trash taken out. They like dinner on the table at a certain per period of time. That's service. People like that. They light up when that happens, and that's that's what they like. Other people like gifts, especially this time of year, Christmas time. People like gifts. They light up when they get a gift that is really important for them. And then the last one would be the touch. People like, like the high five, the fist bumps, the chest bumps, the fancy handshakes that maybe have seven or 10 steps or 20 steps to it. Those really are, are handshakes that people, you can tell there's a connection there and people really like that or the hugs or, or even more intimate. But those are the five love languages. Interesting. Now, uh, I, it's funny, or not funny, haha, funny to me, odd, that you put touch as last and gifts as fourth. To me, gifts seems like a selfish thing, like, like uh, I don't know, gold digging, uh, gold digging, I don't know what, it feels dirty to me. <laughs> it's, uh, I don't think I could uh, ever relate to somebody who can only feel love by me giving them stuff all the time. First of all, I'd go broke. Uh, trying to please them. What if you feel love when you're the one who gives the gifts, as opposed to the one who gets the gifts? Is giving one, or is that service? So, so what I just talked about is actually the receiving portion of it. That is, that's how you like to receive love. Okay. So there, you could say there was ten love languages if you're talking about giving away, and those are that's it's a little bit different that way. I would, uh, I was confused also with the direction that Dr. Chapman did. And that's kind of what caused me to make a new chapter, write write a new book about this and, and make it more simplified. So what you do is actually you're giving love away without any expectation of it ever coming back your way, but trusting the laws of the universe that were in place before you, you or I were ever born, the law of harvest, the law of karma, the law of attraction, any of those laws all say the same thing, that you send, something you send out with, is the universe is going to bring it back to you at some point in time. That's what you're doing with this. So it's really not what you, uh, uh, dog, it's not what you talked about a little bit earlier on the introduction. It's not a way for to women to get, get under your skin at all. But I it think is. I, it, <laughs> it just works out that way. It wasn't planned that way, but it works out that way. Yeah. Well, no, my experience, just... if I can, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but my experience is anything a woman can get that they can use in an argument to to win uh, at the end of the day will be used as a weapon. Yeah, but but I think that that pity party you're talking about is really unintended. Well, I told you how to love me. Why aren't you doing it? And that that pity party, we don't even go there with this type of with this style of love that I'm talking about. You're sending it out without any regards of it coming back, but trusting that it will. And what you do, um, what I created is a, a, actually a cube, a cube that has the love language that's on it. So there's there's a touch, and and the order that I set it in is really not not that significant. There's the words, time, service, and then the gifts. Five what's love. Six, what's this? Because that has six sides. What's the six sides? Six, yeah, six five sides. five love languages, six sides on the die. The last side I created is called Surprise Me. On the on Surprise Me Day, what you're doing is you're watching for uh, for opportunities to do random acts of kindness. 
So there's just two instructions. You roll the cube every day, whatever it lands on, that's the love language you practice giving away all day that day. So in my studies, what I found is that that there's there's no way that anybody can bid love to come their way. That's out of their control. But what is in their control is giving it away and responding when it comes their way. They can control that. They can't bid it to come. I mean, that's like telling somebody, you know, it's almost becomes duty bound if you tell somebody to love you. And that's not love. That's transaction. All right. Uh, if to play the devil's advocate here. Now, I think if Gary Chapman, Dr. Gary Chapman, as you call him, uh, I, didn't, I didn't realize he was a uh, uh, doctor, I'm, I'm possibly a uh, psychologist. I don't know what, uh, but. He was a pastor. Okay, a pastor. Oh, like uh, the Reverend Jelly Roll. Yeah, uh, not not quite like that 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 uh, that reverend. Uh, anyway, um, he <laughs> he lost his wife. I mean, she left him. Uh, that to me, that's a credibility uh, question right there, right? She's uh, his first wife left him. I don't know if he's married again, but it's I believe his first wife was uh, Amy Grant, right? I'm not sure of that. That's a good question. <laughs> So he's and around the time he wrote the book, which kind of makes me if you're an expert in these things, selling it as a person who who's has a relationship fail, it's kind of a credibility gap. No? But the relationship failed because he was spending so much time working on the book to teach people how to save a relationship. So it makes sense. No, I get <laughs> it. But to understand her love language, if you're committed and you know, the idea of making things work. And sometimes recognizing what the other person in your life needs and not recognizing it enough to, to save your own marriage. I'm, I'm pretty sure it went like this. Amy, I'm coming. I know. You want me to hold your hand? Let me finish this chapter. I'll be there to hold your hand. I got it. I know. Okay. What what, what would you say to that, uh, Paul? Do you, do you have any kind of <laughs> come back to that? <laughs> That's good commentary. I'm not familiar with his personal life in that way. But um, what I'm interested in and mo most interested in is really the theory of the love languages. So I came from a, a, an angry household myself and, and learned an angry culture. I needed something that would, would help me be a, a better person. And I saw that the love languages, Dr. Chapman being a pastor, he said that the love languages actually reconcile you to Jesus Christ. They were things that he did in his particular life. I'm Christian, and so that was very important to me. And so that is the theory is what I'm what I'm focused on. And because the theory is not copyrightable, I was able to get a copyright for my cube, copyright, obviously, for the book and for this change. No longer is this a, just a, a romantic type of love that we're talking about. This is a love to everybody, everybody you come in contact with. So when you roll the die, that is something you practice to everyone you come in contact with. I was single at the time I created it. I said, Dr. Chapman, who in the heck am I supposed to love? I don't have a significant other. And then it just dawned on me, oh, I get to love everybody. For me, it was absolutely perfect because I needed a character development that would help me get away from anger. What I found was my pattern as I was stacking annoyance on top of annoyance on top of annoyance on top of annoyance. And then I'd have this flash of anger. I wanted to get over that. So I thought, well, what is the opposite of anger? And love came up as, as the answer. But it just several times in my life, there were times that uh, the, even, even our family was branded as an angry family. And I realized that that angry culture will talk over one another. 
they don't have any boundaries. They'll, they'll they're put down so that they can raise themselves up. That's the angry culture I'm talking about. To overcome that, I needed to learn about love. So this is love in a more of a, a, a sense that just a decency, a common courtesy to all men, not wow. just your significant other. Interesting. Uh, first of all, I would say I would describe myself as a person who came from an extremely angry uh, background. It doesn't uh, show. What? It doesn't. It doesn't show. <laughs> Shut up. It's <laughs> uh, uh, so, But my uh, opposite of anger is acceptance. That's what I come. That's where where I, I resolve to that accepting things the way uh, accepting that things are the way they are, and then how you react to it is a whole other thing. But uh, in my view, the opposite of anger is acceptance. Now, I you know I'm not going to argue about that. Where you come to, that's your reality. Uh, but uh, I you know for me, um, I don't know if that love is a difficult word. It's like God. We can tell, do you believe in God? Uh, sure. How do you define God? Uh, well, I define God as an invisible man in the sky, or I define God as an all loving energy, or whatever they. It's if we can't decide on a definition of what what it means, it's really hard to have a discussion about. I think love and God both have that in common. It's this idea that uh, eight billion people can define it in eight eight billion different ways. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's really hard. Uh, GD, is any of this stuff resonating with you? The uh, this this idea of uh, beyond romantic love, using these in to have better relationships with with everybody. Oh, what's what's. In my humble opinion, as an expert certified forensic humorist, uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm actually of the, of the opinion that self-love is what starts it. You know, you have to do that first. Now, I guess some people can't love themselves without you without a mirror, and they need that the mirror of society. They need to see themselves in society mm -hmm. first, love society, and then realize they can love themselves. So, but I'm just wondering about the love language and how it, how it works with self-love. Great question. That Thank the you. way. Yeah, yeah. I hate when people yeah. compliment him like that. <laughs> That's the angry side of you, Doug. I, uh, I know. I know. Uh, I'm kidding. Anyway, I uh, love him. I yeah. love him. So, so to me, self love is is it doesn't mean self indulgence, but it, it means that you feel loved and that you'll feel feel that satisfaction. So as you're rolling the die every every single day and practicing what you're giving away you're watching for when people light up when people light up you're actually making their day you're lifting them up you're making their day a little bit better there's great satisfaction in doing that uh, for staying with that genre all day long you're going to run run across maybe four to six to eight maybe ten people that will light up when you're doing words or when you're doing time or when you're doing service when you're doing any any one of the love languages, you'll find people that light up for yourself. You just make take a mental note, and then for that person, just wash, rinse, repeat for that person. That's how you can send out, make sure that they are feel loved every time that you have association with that person. For those that don't, maybe tomorrow will be a better day. You know, I used tough love when I was a father. I have eight children. When I, when I was raising the children that you know and they didn't like what was presented to them for dinner i said well maybe you'll like the next meal and you know it was their choice basically they can eat or they can wait till the next meal 
Uh, wow. It seems to me with eight kids, your love language was touch. <laughs> you know what? You, it, once you once you find something that you like, you just keep doing it. That's all. Yeah, that's all it is. My father's uh, response to my, my brother was not happy with the a hamburger he had, and my father's response was to pick up a uh, burger and throw it at his head so hard that it went through the kitchen window, it broke, shattered both the with. <laughs> window and the uh storm windows that's what the world i grew up in so it's no uh no doubt that i uh, am an angry person but this idea of uh by giving them away your vision will improve to the point that you can see them coming at your way and respond appropriately what do you mean by respond appropriately like uh, are you supposed to be like conscious of this stuff all the time and thinking about it in every interaction that you have in the world Great question. So the theory that Dr. Was it Chad, better than his question? No. Um, no. Well, yeah, no. they're all they're all great. Yeah, thank you. So <laughs> ten hours, ten hours. And uh, yeah. So so the theory that Dr. Chapman has is that people have that primary love language. For for the most part, people will give away what they like in hopes that it'll come back for that reciprocity. Yeah. So that's that to me is a transaction. That's really not love. That's a transaction. If you're in business, that works well. Love doesn't work that way. True love actually is giving it away without any any expectation of it coming back. No expectations at all, but trusting that it definitely will will come back. When you give it away over this 30-day period, and I'm just saying 30 days because that's kind of the form of a habit. I've actually um, had the copyright on the cube for since 2017. I've rolled it every day since that time. Um, as you're giving it away, you're learning the, what to do for that particular genre of that love language. You do it for 30 days. You learn all five love languages backwards and forwards. You become what I like to call a love language linguist. Sex, sexy title. I know you both want that. You want that title. Put it on your resume. You go to that employer, and the employer is going to say, what the heck is a love language linguist? And you're going to say, I just love people. That employer is going to want their customers loved, and they want a loving environment rather than a hostile environment within the workplace. But as you're giving it away and learning all five love languages to give it away, that is what improves your vision. It gives you the peripheral vision that most people don't have. They have that myoptic vision that this is my love language. Anything coming to my way, that's the only thing I like. Everything else might be nice, but it's not love. This gives you that peripheral vision that says, oh, they're loving on me. It's not my primary love language, but I can respond to that seeing that it is love. They're sending love my way. All right. Well, you just described it again on the receiving end of it, right? Correct. Yeah. Well, on giving, yeah, that's correct. The right. Receiving so end of it. My my wife would describe my love languages from the my giving perspective is that uh, one of service, uh, because that's what generally uh, I'm always looking for uh, mm -hmm. to try. But it's not like I'm looking for love. I'm looking for peace. I'm looking I'm looking to get ahead of the game to not give her something to be angry about. And if I, I, I always think, well, if if she has something to be angry about, let me get that out of the way before she before she noticed. And so but it looks like service. But because I'm trying to expand this beyond just my relationship with my wife to the world. I'm uh, an entertainer and a creator, and that doesn't feel like service to me. It doesn't feel like I'm providing a service. It feels like I'm just trying to connect 
with people. And I don't know if connection is how even that fits in, but I don't feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that she's right, even though it, I, I would agree with her in our relationship. I do a lot of service-oriented mm-hmm. things to try to stay out of trouble. <laughs> but I'm not that, sure what my own love language is uh, as, as a, from the giving side of it. Yeah, so what do you like to receive? What lights you up? Is it the words? Is it service to you? Is it a gift? Is it is it spending time with you? What lights you up? Uh, what lights me up? Uh, yeah. I'm gonna. Uh, sounds like I'm a cold heart, and I, I probably actually is what he lights up that lights him up. <laughs> yeah, that too, that too. Uh, Daily High Club, by the way, you can get your uh, Hollow Blaze box for twenty nine ninety five. Um, now, I, I enjoy alone time. I enjoy mm-hmm. my my creative time. I enjoy my studio time. Nobody bothering me in the studio. Mm-hmm. I can sit here and create for 12, 15 hours at a time. That's what lights me up. I also uh, enjoy performing on stage, but I am not like in the spotlight. I am a side man, and I just love making music with the guys I make music with in my mm-hmm. band. But it's it's still a solitary time for me. It's it's that, and so. It, that is hard to kind of uh, equate love languages to somebody who, who doesn't want anybody around. <laughs> you know, you know. I've always said COVID was an introvert's dream vacation. Yeah, it yeah. really, really kind of was. But it, there, people that like are like that, like to like time. But I've, I know an introvert that really likes the words. They like they like the compliments. They like the hearing hearing just any words that would help them understand a, a little bit more about themselves. And when people are, are articulate with words and help you understand what that introvert looks like and, and who you are, I think maybe as an introvert, it's hard for you to maybe express in some ways. And that then the radio personality or the, the mic personality, more a persona. So to find out who you are, you need that time to sit aside, sit, sit down and, and uh, just think about it. And then when the words come, people compliment you. Yeah, just like a minute ago, I said that was a great question, and you wanted to you wanted to know whether it was as good good as the other question. Better, I think I was Be- better. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think the words that that was just kind of indicative indicative of of you liking words and you wanted those compliments. Maybe you did it in, in jest, but no, that's... I just don't like him getting complimented, and I always want to feel like I'm better than him. <laughs> Uh, and that's okay. I'm a joke supremacist. Uh, <laughs> I like that. And, uh, now, what about because this stuff? I, I don't don't take this as an, an insult in any way. But this is not, it, 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 yeah, <laughs> people will consider this on the uh, pop psychology. Uh, department or self-help and all that kind of stuff but when it comes down to real psychological issues like nymphomania or uh that kind of stuff does that relate to love languages anyway because there are people who can't get enough physical love no matter how much and and so can this stuff be applied to that or uh do do you give any credence to any of those uh real psychological real psychological science psychic science or or psychiatric science definitely there is something to that there uh, more seriously there's um actually ptsd is a serious issue that uh, a lot of soldiers have a lot of people have it after coming out of a a a relationship that's Mm -hmm. a 
you have a fairly difficult relationship. They'll come out with PTSD. People in the police force have PTSD. You know, just the things that would cause that or or any other type of medical condition, definitely that that is a, a factor. Something that what this does is, is actually provides variety of, of different ways to love, different themes for the day, different purposes for the day. And what I found is that, especially with PTSD, they're focused on that particular event, whatever it was that happened that was traumatic in their life. And, and whatever that event was, if you can focus on something different for just a moment or even a day or a few hours, just focus on something different, that's going to help you get out of that, that rut or, so to speak, that mind synapse that, that keeps going back to that particularly tra traumatic event, make some loving events, create, create a diversion. It's exactly what I needed. What I found was, was that being annoyed, 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 annoyed to that flash of anger, I r realized that I was mostly annoyed at other people. I hardly ever got annoyed at myself. Well, one time, there was a time I got annoyed, so annoyed at myself, I didn't talk to myself for three days. <laughs> yeah, I know that feeling. I mean, yes, yeah. just yesterday, uh, and this is, this is may maybe some, uh, I'm getting on the couch here. Um <laughs> I, I had a problem with my my wife told me she used my car yesterday morning and my front headlight was my uh, driver's side headlight was out and right away I got ah, who needs this crap right now and I went out to uh, I went to the auto parts store bought the headlight and and uh, usually they in the old days not too long ago old days like a year ago mm -hmm. they would say well, we can do that for you you know what we, we'll change it for you when you buy it but none of that i even asked no we don't do that anymore so i gotta go out there and then i was like trying to uh in the parking lot change the light bulb and uh, not getting the one out and i'm getting frustrated with myself i called my wife and i said i'm a failure at everything in life i can't yeah. even change a, a light bulb now it's generally uh she she thinks i'm too negative on myself all the time she was giving me the pep talk oh you know what so what it's not it's don't feel so bad and all that kind of stuff but i was beating myself up over this like i i can't get this and uh, she said well, why don't you come home and check you because i read the book the book didn't help it just a simple counterclockwork that didn't happen so she said, come home and watch a YouTube video. And I did. I watched a YouTube video and then went out there and I still couldn't do it. I said, I can't believe I'm going to have to go to a mechanic to have a light bulb changed in my car. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. so uh, annoying, annoying things like that is what, what I realized was the start of that anger um, or the stacking of annoyances and getting me to the angry point. I think that the identification of if there's any way that the person that has that um, uh, addiction or has that post-traumatic stress or infomania, whatever it is that they've got, if they can find out what the source is, then the, stop that activity as much as you can. Just stop that activity. Focus on doing something else. That's absolutely what I needed for my life. I did not want to be that angry person. In fact, that was my statement. I said, I don't want to be angry. It's kind of a double negative, which you multiply two negative numbers together. It gets a positive. It doesn't work in relationships. It absolutely yeah. wasn't working for me. So I really needed a replacement behavior. This actually became the replacement behavior. Just setting, taking the two seconds or less that it takes to roll the die first thing in the morning. No, noticing that that's what you're watching for all day long. It was like looking this way at faults of another person, now looking this way at the at the good things of another person. 
instead of saying what's wrong with that person, I started saying what's right with that person. Changed it was a paradigm shift that I needed for myself. Right. If, if, mine is internal though, and if that's the point I was I was making is that I my insecurities, and I've I've talked about this before about my role as a man and my inability to really be a me- mechanically inclined <laughs> is a major insecurity for me. And it, 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 it's something that I, so the annoyance was with myself as like, like mm-hmm. I, I'm thinking of myself as a failure now, all this stuff. I, when I got to the mechanic, by the way, he, he changed my paradigm. On, uh, gave me the paradigm. He said, don't feel bad about this stuff. Headlights can be a, uh, a challenge for, cause they make it really, really hard to access the stuff mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. Stuff. He said, but this car that you drove in is the worst car on the planet for this. So I don't feel so bad about yourself, but that changed my, uh, mm-hmm. my day from that moment. But all of these things, uh, it comes from insecure, almost all of my feelings in life come from insecurity. And so the annoyance is almost always with myself. I other people annoy me, but my annoyances that that make me angry, it always starts with my self doubt and my mm-hmm. my own insecurity. So that I mean, so that is what I think uh, GD was talking about self love, because uh, that's something I I know it exists, but I still have not been able to work on it enough to the point where I see it coming and understand it in the moment. It's only in reflection afterwards. This is this idea about seeing it coming your way mm-hmm. and being able to respond appropriately. I don't see anything coming my way. I see it in in hindsight. <laughs> so I like to uh, just create it like this or explain it like this: that you know, in a, with a magnifying glass, you're making things larger. And if you focus on the problems or the weaknesses or the faults, like yourself or yourself or anyone other other than that. It's just that's going to make it bigger. And I realize this as I'm raising kids. If I focus on the problem, it, that problem got a lot bigger. And I, I realize I've got to focus on what's right about that child and focus on the good things that they're doing and praise them in that way. And as I focus on that, actually that part became bigger. And so that's the whole idea is that you want to focus on what's right about Rachi dog, uh, dog, what is good about you and what's great about you, what's wonderful about you. And my and, wife uh, told me, asked the guy if he could write a song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I said, you know what? A lot more people do do that than you would get, you would think just because you can't do it. Don't think, don't, don't think the mechanic can't do it. Cause yeah. Probably had like nine country songs. He's waiting to play for you. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You haven't heard my hit album. I'm just doing the mechanic stuff because I love it, but I'm actually a very successful musician. Like, oh, I hate you. Um, what, what was your um, profession before you decided to become a game creator? Do you have an experience, experience in game creation before? No, I don't, actually. This is actually the first. And so what I've done most of my life is finance and, and accounting. You know, as I was raised, and I was just like, just like you, that I wanted wanted to be the good person, keep within the rules, and always obey rules. When I was seventeen, I took the career test that everybody takes, and the career test said that I'd be a great IRS agent. It's just because I didn't want to get beat by my dad. Just <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't, I wanted to stay within the rules and. And I didn't become an IRS agent. I thought, I'm not going to do that. I don't want to make people angry already. I've already come from anger. I don't want to make more people angry. 
And so I settled on accounting, which stays within the rules. It's very close to that. What that career said, past said, stayed with accounting, actually became a CFO of a public company. And now, now I do merchant services, just set up businesses so they can take credit card as payment. Uh, well, that's very cool. Now, did you get any, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but advice or uh did you collaborate with anybody who was a uh, in the uh, psychology field in developing this game? That's a great question, and I did actually. There was the inspiration for doing this is I in 2017 I had the had the cube, and I was taking it around to mental health specialists, and they said this is a great idea, except we need a manual because it's so different. The style of practice and everything else is so different from doc, what Dr. Chapman did. And from Dr. Chapman's application of the love languages that we really need a manual. And so this gentleman that I went to in March of last year said I should write a book. And so I'd never thought of that before. And I saw, so I started, sat down and had all the ideas, put them all in different columns. I had some advice that said take some sticky notes and make 10 columns on, on the wall. And every time you have an idea about, about this, put it in one of the columns. So I, I did something like that. I did it more in a spreadsheet following my accounting behavior, did it more in a spreadsheet, made the columns. Once I was out of ideas and I wasn't coming up with anymore, then I started writing. Took six weeks to write the book. Took a lot longer to edit it. Took a little, little bit of time to format it and then to create a cover for it. So I published it just this year. And that's that's how the book came came to be. And that's how that's kind of the interaction I've had with mental health uh, uh, mental health therapists. And and I continue to have great success with them talking about it, helping them understand that there's a several out there, though, that really were anti against the the love languages, maybe for the same reason you are a dog, that it really kind of sets up that sets up one person say, well, I told you what my love language is. How come you're not delivering? And it's just um, when it's just that that sort of thing. You don't want to get to that pity party. Um, what I found most uh, that, you know, I talked about stacking annoyance on top of annoyance on top of annoyance with this. And, and I'll bring it back to what we talked about earlier in the show. This is stacking kindness on top of kindness, on top of kindness, on top of kindness to get to the higher laws of love. And it's not necessarily another love language, but it just is a, a more of an expansion, a higher love, love like charity or compassion. I'm aware. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. That was a rude, rude interruption. I was going to get to it. Uh, we have to say goodbye to Govs. We want to let Govs know that we love Govs. Govs, uh, the, co uh, the love language at Governor's Comedy Clubs is laughter, and you can get plenty of that at Govs this weekend. Uh, I, I was just trying to show you, Matt. I wasn't uh, trying to show yeah. you, you, you. It's fine. Uh, now, uh, coming back, uh, I hate to be commercializing Christmas, but if somebody goes to the rolloflove.com today, mm -hmm. will they be able to get uh, the, or their order filled by Christmas? Sure. If they're in the United States, it should happen um, before Christmas. We just have a, a just a few hour turnaround on orders right now. So we right. could get, if it's ordered today, early in the day, we could get it out the same day and it uh, should be delivered before Christmas. Very cool. Now, uh, I'm I'm going to go out on a uh, very small limb here, or maybe a very thick limb. Uh, but 
assuming that most of the people who buy this uh, buy buy the game Roll of Love are going to be ladies. With and some of the, uh, I'm just assuming that, and I could be wrong. If I am, uh, smack me. But uh, the, one of the challenges for a lady, like if my wife bought this game and wanted to get me to play, uh, she'd have a tough time getting me uh, to to play. What what advice would you give to somebody in that position, like my wife buying this game and trying to get me to play it? Good question. <laughs> my wife doesn't play either. And this, but what, what she does do is uh, she tries to guess what I've rolled that day. So in essence, she kind of does participate. She's trying to guess what what did I roll that day by the actions that I'm doing. And so it's just a better way to, to improve your relationships. As I said, it improves that communication that people love in a lot of different ways. I'm sure I've missed a lot of people sending love my way because it just wasn't my primary love language. Now I can see that. Now I can respond. So it's uh, to, to that. I would just say, keep trying to love and trying to learn. It's, it's worth it to learn these basic love languages as starting to say that you'll stack kindness on top of kindness, on top of kindness to get to those higher laws, the laws of forgiveness or charity or compassion or intimacy or sympathy or empathy or mercy any of those higher laws of love, I would say these are stair steps. These are the basics. That I believe in all those things. That I just will wanna, get together. I just want to say I, uh, and it's not just talk. I try to, I, I tried my best to live a life that exemplifies empathy, kindness. Uh, mm -hmm. Again, you know, my wife would say uh, my love language is service. I do a lot of that now mm -hmm. that I think about it, you know, volunteer work and all that stuff. Yeah. Not ne necessarily looking to get anything back, but I know there is a reward for all that stuff. Yeah. When I go to uh, volunteer at like a nursing home or, or something like that, at the end of the day, I feel that's, that's what lights me up. So mm -hmm. yeah. uh, that there is, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, uh, anyway, now, that's that's exactly what we're talking about is that that decency and doing things like that just without regard of it, of, of getting anything back. You know, I have a nursing home that's just two blocks from where I live. And uh, what I love to do is and I love this as a kid playing puzzles. So I'll go play puzzles with with these old people and help them make sure they've got the right pieces in the right place because their eyesight's uh, fading and and uh, it's just they're just not not as, as color coordinated that way with as they're trying to put the pieces in. So I, I help them with their puzzles. Well, I, I appreciate you uh, being here. I, I know this is our third time, but we finally got it to happen. Thank you, thank <laughs> uh, you for your patience. Uh, roll I have up. a question just real quick. Man. Go, go ahead. I just want to give out the uh, the uh, URL one more time for people. It's rolloflove.com, all one word, roll, R-O-L-E, of love.com. Go ahead. Uh, Paul, when I, as soon as I saw your face, I said, I know that man's face. I know that face from somewhere. And it's George Goebbels from Hollywood Squares. You remind me of George Goebbels from <laughs> yes, Hollywood Squares. Yes. As soon as I saw you, I went, where Where have I seen him before? And it, and it took me like three or four minutes. And I went, George Goebbels. And then I said, well, what if that's the wrong name? And I'm saying somebody else from bad from history. Well, so, uh, George Goebbels from the Friars Club before Hollywood Squares, by, by the way. A uh, Friars guy and an actor. But uh, I happen to know Paul's love language is people who don't compare me to George Goebbels. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not it. I'm good. Thank you very much. Uh, thank, thanks for uh, being here, and we appreciate My it. I hope people do check out rolloflove.com. Good luck, and, and uh, Merry Christmas.
Merry Christmas to y'all. Thank you. Uh, Paul uh, Zolman, folks. Uh, Rolloflove.com. You can find out more about it. Interesting stuff. Now, uh, what's your takeaway? You got you got a takeaway from all this? Or any um, thoughts? Well, I think it's... if, you if there's thoughts? A, yeah. Well, me a thought, no. But if there's a, like I said, any tool that helps people communicate better, I'm for it. You know, as long as it doesn't cause bloodshed, I'm, I'm for it. I mean, I, and I, like the, the fact that Kate Chapman came up with only five love languages and I think of others. What are know, the others now that you think? No, I, but I like, for example, I, I, I said it, but I'm serious. My brother and I, we, Ins insult, we insulted each other. Insult, but is that that's a word? I mean, I guess it could be words, but no, because I do that. And you, Willie said the same thing about because when he texts me, and I, I've taken by the way, Jackie the Heckle Man, uh, Martling will be the guest Friday this Friday, and we're talking about abusive. But when Willie's been texting me, I have been texting him back insults every day, and he laughs and he says, I know that's just your way of saying. Uh, you love me too, but uh, so but I don't know if that's a love line. That's the way I'm showing love. I don't know. I'm doing it just to be funny. I well, think. but but for my brother and I, like I said, we as if my brother and I met in a bar and had a drink, we would not meet as we would not leave as friends. We wouldn't exchange phone numbers, you know. But because we had shared the same womb at one point, well. Like three years apart, we had the we had the same womb in common, you know. We had to find something that found us, you know, so to speak, a way of communicating. So when we saw each other, it wasn't just, you know, I don't like you, you don't like me, let's not talk. Now, did, uh, what part do they let the dead guys come in and hang out with the uh, bad comedians? Oh, that's halfway through. <laughs> all right uh well this has been an interesting show I last mean, call actually last call actually they call it final call, last call. <laughs> no interesting show this morning um a lot to think about here for me I, you know i i say that the idea that women because women will in my opinion Anything that can help them win an argument like this. And I'm, I hate to be sound like a misogynist asshole, but I am one. Uh, so if I sound like one, it, there's a good reason for it. So typecasting. Yeah, typecasting. <laughs> when, women do have like memories of and will bring up in an argument anything from a hundred years ago, any tidbit. They like file that stuff away. And in an argument case, this can be used as a weapon. And now that's my that's my real reluctance to even getting involved with it. I don't want to give, I don't want to buy into anything that that will be used against me in a court of law. Now, when, <laughs> have, marriage. You, have you ever like done something like with your wife present, and you look at her, you go, "I know you're going to bring this back up in 15 years." Always. <laughs> I mean, Always. I, yeah, I, I said fear of that. I, I said to my wife, "It's just like okay." I know you're going to remember this and bring this up in 15 years. You don't have to. I'll I'll remember it too. You know. Have but, you ever gone to couples therapy or real? You know, whatever they call it now. Whether you know marriage counseling, couples counseling, any of that kind of stuff. No, my wife threatened a couple times. Um, <laughs> she did a couple times, and, and I think she thought I was going to like back down or something. I was like, no. 
I looked at I said, no, they'll, I said, they'll just, I said, they'll take my side this time. I'm right. <laughs> no. yeah, that's a, I think that's everybody who goes to that wants the uh, counselor or something to take their side and back up their part there. That's a, a bad way to start out. I know right. I did. I did go we because we were separated for a, a year. Well, actually, we were separated for a day, but I lived in another house for a year. And then I got another, we got separated. And two days later, she was there decorating my new house and cooking dinner for me in the house. <laughs> so, and so I had signed a year lease. So we, we I kept that house for a year, but she was sleeping there. <laughs> she was coming to my house now to sleep over. And we that that was probably the, the uh, but we did go to uh uh, couples counseling and what came out in, in that is my all of my anger all of my fear comes back to uh, uh, fear of aband abandonment when I lash out in anger uh, at my wife it's oh it has always been about uh, it what triggers it is the fear of ab abandonment and you know uh, is this going to be the end, end of our relationship because of this stupid thing I did so I live in fear of that like when you say do I ever look at her and say she's going to remember this if I say hello I'm always I'm always looking at her like <laughs> what am I doing wrong well well <laughs> I never look at it from a place of confidence like you're, you're gonna love me tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> it never well, dawns on me anyway uh so yeah uh, it's time to say goodbye. Oh, we're late on uh, PBM TV, but I think that's fine. They start the next show without us anyway, or over us. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. So tomorrow it's we have. Few, it's only by a few seconds. Yeah, only by a few seconds, and they, you know, I probably they listed a highlight reel, and we are the main thing in their highlight reel. Uh, so I feel like we're probably the best show on there anyway. So if they get a few seconds extra of us. It's a win for them. It's not a loss. Win-win. Yeah. 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 Anyway, uh, any final thoughts from you or we're going to get out of here? Uh, oh, no. Uh, I, the, the thing about Ian, Ian is sent to think about your brother had a point. Yeah, the yeah. The, the burger was hard enough. Well, my father was, like, really strong. and uh, But, yeah, that, that always is in the back of my mind. Like, how hard do you have to throw a burger and how tough does that burger have to be? Uh, to actually break through three, well, three well, maybe layers. Maybe it was just the bread. bread. Maybe the burger was very tender. It was from bread. Burger King, by the way. Oh, oh. Well, the sesame seeds did it then. And I'm talking about the 1960s, so maybe the, the product has changed. But to throw a whopper at a window and go through three layers of glass, it's got to be a lot of velocity, a lot of, uh, a lot of extra in there. It's funny. <laughs> if we didn't like food that my mother made, my mother would look at us and say, I don't care. The government says I have to feed you. It doesn't say you have to like it. <laughs> I think my mother would have taken that attack if my father would have given it in a second. But the other part of this is that if my brother hadn't ducked, he would have been headless. <laughs> it would have took off a head and three layers of glass. Can you imagine your obituary? <laughs> killed, killed by a whopper. I know this sounds like a whopper, but this is the truth. I swear to God. <laughs> I will get my brother to back this story up. If anybody doesn't believe it, I, I will get him on here. Uh, you know what? I'll call him tomorrow if I can. If I, The phone system, it, it always screws my microphone up when I hook the, the phone system in, so I'm kind of reluctant to do that. Your, but, your brother's going to 
I, I remember that map, but it was a it was a big it was a big map. Nobody could break a glass with a whopper. It had to be no, a big map. Def no, definitely either. was a whopper, and no doubt about that. There's no no no, no disagreement there. I'm, I, I think he'll back up every aspect of this story, including that if he hadn't ducked, he would not have a head today. He would have been dead in the moment. Anyway, uh, thanks for being here. Uh, I hope it, uh, I hope we all, I hope we both learned something today, and I hope what it is that we learned is that I do ask better questions than you. Well, I I never doubted it for a second. All right, I never okay. doubted it for a second. All right, good. Thanks. I get better answers back, but you ask better questions. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> input output. Get, what is that? That whole uh, garbage in, garbage out stuff. Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. Take get out. Get off my phone. All right. See you tomorrow. Bye for now. All right. I'm out of here. Uh, don't forget to turn on your radio, blah, 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 blah. Do please subscribe, like, comment, all that kind of stuff. Uh, don't make me beg. Don't make me beg. Have a great day. Thanks for coming. Uh, check out both uh, our guests' websites today. Uh, links are in the description. And don't forget to turn on your radio. Bye for now. Have a great day. Hey.
me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.